what you've touched on there is really interesting though, which is um, an element of trust. Uh, AI is still kind of new, right? So most people, even if they're fully bought into AI, right? And are like, I know it can help me make better decisions over lots of complex information. I'm unlikely on day one to be like, you know what? I'm just going to hand over the keys to the kingdom, right? Just do it all. The question posed by our podcast today is, would you hand over decision-making in your organization to AI? Tom New, head of product marketing at Peak, thinks that you can and that you can make decisions intelligently via artificial intelligence. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by the Harvey Nash Group, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you a little bit of technology news. Uh, so to all of our American listeners, this is going out on the 2nd of July. Have a happy Independence Day weekend, you oh. turncoats. <laughs> <laughs> That's how to alienate our audience. No, of course not. Of course not. I, I should know more about American independence. I have seen Hamilton. Um, but right now, all I can really think about is the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. So anyone near Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, why don't you go have a look at the Liberty Bell and celebrate? I hope that you have a lovely weekend. Genuinely, joking aside, from the Brits, I hope you have a lovely, lovely Independence Day weekend and fireworks and whatever else you do. Akish, you, you like the States. Do, they, do you know what they do to celebrate? Um, I mean, don't they? Uh, yeah, loads of fireworks and burgers. And you, you clearly chicken. don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I like the States, but I mean, yeah, I can't say I've been part of festivities <laughs> I, don't, I don't know fireworks um fireworks probably fireworks yeah i mean, I mean no, knowing americans they probably do it on a very very large scale and get excited for uh, for small things i'm i'm really quite pleased that i'm not american though because red white and blue are not my colors they don't suit don't suit me yeah i mean is that the only oh yeah also i couldn't i couldn't face calling trump my president for the last four years either well, so. Thank God they don't have to do that. They can yeah. they can really go yee-haw this year because they've got a president that's that's decent. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we really can't talk now, you know, because we've got Bojo and they've got Biden. They 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 yeah. definitely also, got also, one over us there. Yeah, and and we had a naughty health secretary, but uh, you know. <laughs> oh well. The le- the less said uh, less said about him the better, I guess. Yeah, the less said about most of our ministers, the better. <laughs> oh, no. Madness. Oh, maybe maybe we should go to America and <laughs> extract ourselves from from the wonderful decisions that we've made over the last few years in this country. Oh, funnily no. enough, funnily enough, today's interview is all about explainable AI and decision making. And uh, maybe maybe if we'd had some explainable AI helping us to make some some sensible decisions over the last few years and explaining what route we were going down, we wouldn't be in the, the jolly old mess that we are now. Oh, very true. On today's show, I'm joined by Tom New. Tom, you're the head of product marketing at Peak. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. And Peak, you describe yourselves as the decision intelligence company. Um, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so great question. So um, decision intelligence is a new kind of category of technology. Um, all it really means is that Peak help our customers make great commercial decisions using AI. And I think probably right at the start, it will probably be good to kind of 
just quickly define what we mean by AI? Because I think it's it's a term that's used in so many different places and often it's a, a bit of a smokescreen to hide behind. So all that we mean by AI is software that helps us make predictions and categorizations over very complex data. So even self-driving cars and Siri and things like that, they're just kind of complicated bundles of software helping to make predictions and categorizations. So it's a nice, really simple way to think about AI. Is it is it basically machine learning? But machine learning is a phrase that, that outside of the technology industry, not many people really understand. And so, because because a lot of people do seem to get frustrated when AI gets applied, because well, that's not AI, that's machine learning. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. There's a few terms that are kind of uh, you know used slightly interchangeably, and there's kind of an ongoing joke that basically, if it's uh, machine learning, but it's in uh, in a pitch deck right, um, or in an investor deck, then you use AI. Um, but they are slightly distinct. And I think AI is a bit broader in terms of scope and, and things like that. But yeah, the semantics of it, uh, are sometimes they cause eye rolls, I think, mainly because I think AI is often used, um, a bit like I said, as something that people hide behind to, to sound really clever, right, without necessarily having to, to go in and explain it. I think we usually, when we talk about what we do, we talk. We introduce AI because it's a term people are familiar with, but to be honest, we we much prefer talking about what it means. What it, what does it actually mean for people? Right? How does it change their their lives, their job? What does it allow them to accomplish? And I think if we keep it there, it makes it much more tangible and real. Uh, so for us, in in this case, it's about decision making. How do we improve decision making in a commercial setting? Right. And the tool that we use is AI. Um, but it's not really about that. It's about how do we make fast, consistent, accurate, great decisions all the time within a business. So you you mentioned a couple of, of ones that I suppose a lot of people can kind of hook onto immediately when you talk about um a, a driverless car. Mm-hmm. And, and when we're talking about decision making i suppose there's that interesting thing and the, the, the driverless car is a really interesting one um where human decision making stops and ends and 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 automated decision making picks up and there's that debate that should there be a human driver with uh, a machine in the background ready to leap into action hmm. to to keep the human from making a, a terrible mistake? Or should it be that you're on autopilot and all of a sudden the human gets asked to, to take control when something goes wrong, which has had disastrous consequences if you look at fly-by-wire and aircraft. Mm-hmm. So, so how, how do you see this as a company? How, how are you kind of saying to businesses, right, actually this is where you as individuals need to make the decisions, but this is where a machine can step in and help give you direction? Yeah, great question. I think if you, if you start to kind of unpack what, how decisions are made in the different types of decisions, right? There's there's lots of different types. Um, there's kind of like almost operational style decisions that within an organization happen thousands of times a day across an organization, which are very sort of bit of data, what do we do next? Like sort of very just extremely tactical. You've got in the middle kind of more tactical things, right? So what price should we set for this particular product or like what customers should we get in touch with today? And what time should we do that? And then you've got kind of very high level, strategic, big picture, long term, slightly more creative, out of the box style decisions, right? And those maybe happen once or twice a year, maybe a bit more often. I think if you think of commercial decision making in those terms, right, where software and AI is probably most helpful is, you know, in that middle section. 
Um, and I think in that middle section is really the sweet spot where AI-driven decision-making plus human beings having a look at it, um, kind of making the final sign-off kind of makes sense. Down the bottom end, that's kind of where you see more automation, right? So if this, then that style things. And that, those kind of things literally happen thousands of times a day. And it it's almost not, you don't really need um, decisions made. It's almost just like a process that you're kind of automating. It's that middle bit that we see as the biggest opportunity uh, right now for AI to make a bit of an impact. What you've touched on there is really interesting, though, which is um, an element of trust. Uh, AI is still kind of new, right? So most people, even if they're fully bought into AI, right, and are like, I know it can help me make better decisions over lots of complex information, are unlikely on day one to be like, you know what, I'm just going to hand over the keys to the kingdom, right? Just do it all. Right? There, there is a journey that people tend to go through. This is where stuff like explainable AI comes in, right? So AI machine learning is built, built on algorithms that take certain things into account when making those predictions. And a lot of the kind of beginning of that journey of getting used to using AI and machine learning to help with your decisions is help me understand this prediction. Right. So I've given you a whole bunch of data. You've applied some models to it. It's really exciting. And you're basically saying, I think you should do this next. And here is the impact of that. It's kind of being able to say, OK, just before I say yes, and we go ahead with this, can you show me how you've come to that prediction? Like why you've made that recommendation for me to do? So what we do at Peak um, is both in terms of you know, people to people, helping explain how the models are made, all of the understanding of business. So what needs to go into that? What what considerations, what guardrails and things like that need to go into it? But also every single time being able to sort of explore what goes into that prediction? Why are you suggesting this? What is the impact? And then giving people the final sign off, at least at the beginning, right? Because they need to get used to a new way of working. Because a lot of us in our roles are like, I have built up decades of experience and I am the only person that can make this kind of call. Um, but over time, I think I mentioned different types of decisions and different depths of thinking. You realize that you can probably let go of more kind of decisions than you realized um, at the beginning that probably a lot more of them are kind of decisions that you have to make, but take a lot of time, involve a lot of data crunching. And really, you'd rather be spending time doing the strategic ones, the bigger ones, the more creative activities and things like that. So, yeah, I, I think you're, you're quite right to point out that there is a degree of always reassuring, explaining why certain predictions and decisions are being suggested and letting human beings, at least at the start, kind of give the okay and not just being like, yeah, make it automatically forever. It doesn't matter. Take it away. Mm. In passing there, you've mentioned about the fact that you're dealing with lots of data, crunching huge amounts, huge amounts of data, complex data, kind of all speaks of legacy organizations, hmm. right? Uh, and we often talk about the fact that it can take a couple of years to put a a, uh, a machine learning framework or, or build, build, a, build a kind of a fit-for-purpose data machine uh, within a business mm -hmm. that actually begins to, to um, deliver some value to that business. Um, so at what stage does a business have enough data to implement the services of of an organization like like peak because there's an there's an element where you kind of think is it the preserve of organizations who who do have those resources those pockets that data and and can try and begin to make sense of it uh, as opposed to a much smaller younger 
organization? Or are we just creating so much data now as a business that actually from day one, there's a possibility to, to st- begin to extract value? Amazing question. I think you've pretty much yeah, you pretty much hit the nail on the head in both instances, right? Is businesses create data at just the the most outrageously quick rate now, right? So even if take retail companies, e-commerce companies, after a month's worth of trading, you've got a stupendous amount of information that you're sound. So one of the areas that Peak often helps with is in merchandising, right? So that's basically like what products do we stock? Um what price should we set for them? And uh, and what's the transactional information about all of those products, right? Um, as well as sizing, subcategories, like rate of sale, uh, where are those products? Are we selling just online or are they in stores? Even within a month, a sort of reasonable startup e-commerce company is going to have millions of data points about those products, right? Um, and that's without even bringing in customer data or supply chain data. Organizations that have been around for a long time are sat on, you know, terabytes of this stuff, right? Over hundreds of thousands of products over a period of years. What? How many of them have sold? What price were they at the time when they sold and things like that? But what you've, you've touched on there is a worry, a worry when you come to the table and you're like, you know what, I'm interested in the potential value of AI. What if our data isn't good enough? Um, and I think what we often say to that is, you know what, let's not overthink it. Let's just start, you know, chances are there's going to be something in here that we can help with. And we're more than happy to kind of explore where that might be. And then over time, you kind of learn um, to kind of invest in clean, combined, what data you need in order to be able to improve things. But we don't want people to think or to worry too much that then their data is not going to be right Um, because it's always worth a conversation. And most of the time, there's always going to be some stuff. And there's certain functions within businesses that just generate loads of data all the time, right? You know, people, HR might be a department in an organization where it's a bit more difficult to kind of get onto the the quantitative data that's in a, a spreadsheet currently or in a database somewhere. But if you're looking at sales, marketing, supply chain stuff, it already exists in abundance. Um, so Peak often works with companies that have what we call a value chain of products, right? You you have you sell products which exist in warehouses that move around the country and need to get into the hands of consumers after you've sold it to them either in stores or online. Just in that, that kind of fundamental part of the business, there is so much data there to be used and it's so complex. Um, and that's why AI is really well equipped to be able to help make sense of that, right? Because there's too much of it for a human being to make sense of in their own mind, right? You need technology to be able to help make sense of that, cut through the noise and start to be able to make decisions over one part of it or the whole thing. Now, when we talk about AI, and certainly when we talk about AI as a society, and you see it talked about in in the wider media, it's often in quite negative terms, mm. a bit of fear mongering about jobs and so on. Um, and And especially when it comes to efficiencies, What's the alternative narrative? What's what's the positive spin around efficiencies and why AI can actually be very beneficial for society as a whole? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one, right? So because almost like if you watch Office Space or you know even The Office, right? Uh, efficiency is often sort of like double speak for layoffs, right? Efficiency mm-hmm. means fewer fewer people, less staff. Um, more automation and things like that. But there's a really important flip side to what efficiency means. And that's 
I think we've probably all had that feeling where we've received something, we've ordered something online and it's arrived in a small plastic bag covered in a larger plastic bag in a box with loads of tape um, and every single component of the thing is wrapped up in plastic bag. And you think this is so wasteful. Right. And that's kind of the actual alternative to efficiency in certain contexts is waste that you shove that stuff in the bin and it goes to landfill. Right. Or imagine um, a company that's trying to move its products uh, around the country to make sure that it can deliver to customers. And instead of making sure that every truck is full when it leaves the depot, it just goes, oh, there's three things in that truck. Just send it to Edinburgh from here now. Right. That is wasteful. Right. Because there is a lot of room in that truck that could be used, you know, with, you know, smart management of where stuff is moving and where it needs to be. That means you only have to do one journey instead of 20. So we're seeing sustainability is the flip side to how we think about that kind of bad way of thinking about efficiency. Right. It's sustainability especially with changes in America, new administration in, um, but particularly in Europe and the UK, is on everyone's mind at the moment, right? We saw recently at the G7, Extinction Rebellion were there in force, and they came out and they made pledges about climate change and things like that. So it's high up on the agenda. And that is the positive spin on efficiency that AI can help with, is basically how do you use fewer natural resources to create the same stuff and get it to the in the hands of people who want it without an enormous amount of waste along the way. And we think that's something that people really care about and we see it all the time. And it it, it comes up again and again. Organizations are looking not just for limitless growth and profit. What they're looking for is a sustainable new way of building a successful company, right? So AI has the ability because that's very complex, right? Sustainable supply chains and, you know, using as few resources as possible is, again, a very complex problem that AI can help with. So that's our kind of positive spin on it. It's not about replacing human beings and robot factories and automating everything and laying everyone off. It's about making goods and services and getting it into the hands of customers in a way that isn't wasteful and um, full of carbon emissions and all of that stuff. So you're talking there that there are clear benefits for organizations to think about how they can improve their supply chains and sustainability. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We've talked a lot. Of, we've talked a lot about digital transformation over this year and how there's been an acceleration uh, in, in in that sense. Um, and it feels like everyone's doing kind of digital transformation in some way or other. But is it adopting cloud, or is it mm-hmm. going to a company like Peak and saying, "Let's have a look at our supply chain"? Um, you know, how, how have you have you seen how have you seen the market? I suppose develop over the last year and a half. Has it has it been something that AI is perhaps a step beyond a lot of organizations and they're kind of they are just sorting out whether or not they should should have cloud services be on-prem off-prem getting online or is this something that companies going no 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 now is the opportunity we need to invest yeah so both uh i think of those things are, are really important i'm sure you've spoken to so many people that have kind of experienced the whiplash of you know five years of digital transformation in about 12 weeks in early 2020 right mm-hmm. so suddenly no one was going to any shop and all buying was happening online um so we we saw that not only impacting retailers but also impacting fmcg companies consumer goods companies who were suddenly like well if if we can't put our stuff in supermarkets what do we do like we need to start building direct relationships 
with customers, right, online. So you saw Heinz starting selling, you know, personalized cans of beans for Father's Day and things like that, direct to, to consumers, as they call them. How do they do that? And what if you're starting with a blank sheet of paper in terms of selling direct to customers, what's the best way to do that, right? And often they say, you know what? AI first, right? Given that we don't necessarily have to do an enormous five-year transformation project, uh, we can do that. But even for retailers, there are a couple of things that happened because of lockdown and because of COVID that kind of accelerated the need for digital transformation, but also made a very strong case for um, AI. Um, And so two of those were volatility, right? So volatility of demand. Who would have thunk that the entire world needed that much loo paper in that short period of time, right? But there were these (laughs) these massive spikes of um, demand for certain things, but also volatility in supply chains, right? So, you know, beyond the Suez Canal shutting down and Brexit and things like that, there were were problems with getting goods and services like in, in the way that they had before. And they needed to change very rapidly because of that. That's exactly the kind of complex picture of data that AI is really good at responding to. All of this noisy stuff is happening. How do you make sense of that and know what to do next? So companies saw that as a real opportunity to start embracing AI and seeing very quick benefit from it. Because the world became so volatile, AI was able to kind of give an ROI or an outcome much quicker than sort of the distant horizons of like, we don't know what the benefit's going to be now, but in five years time, it's going to be this. It's like, no, right now you have a really important use case, like, you know, predicting demand, forecasting demand, responding to that. Um, So companies saw that as an opportunity to, you know, start small, start somewhere with AI, still with the bigger picture in mind, but have a, a very interesting, valuable use case in the short term as well. So we, we saw, you know, there was a lot of worry at the beginning of 2020 that everyone was going to shut up shop. But we we actually saw demand for peak services double during 2020, right? As everyone kind of said, look, now's the time. And they were probably also doing stuff like moving to the cloud, right? Mm. But there was an enormous opportunity. The second thing other than volatility was online customer experience, right? Or the, the whole customer experience like became more important than ever, right? And also customers in a sense became more fickle in a way, right? So you and I, I'm I'm sure, have both had the experience where you get an email kind of promoting certain products from a brand that you love, you click on it, you go to add it to your basket. Oh, no, it's out of stock, right? Um, That's a really good example of how like a siloed customer experience kind of breaks a little bit. Um, And people were kind of getting to a stage where we're like, well, I need this thing, right? Um, And I want to buy it. And this company can't offer it to me right now in the way that I want. So I'm just going to abandon it. I'm going to go to a competitor immediately. And it used to potentially be four or five strikes that you could kind of have as a as a company selling to, to customers. And now, you know, Tom Summerfield, who's our director of retail, says you get two. That's it, right? If you make a significant boo-boo, right, in the customer experience, you're likely only ever to get two strikes. So the need to kind of join the dots and start connecting up different parts of the customer experience, offering personalized experiences, matching the the website experience, the on-site experience, the recommendations that are being put there, but also how you're you're fulfilling orders and your supply chains and things like that. The, The priority for that to be joined up and seamless um, was suddenly increased and really high up on the agenda over the last 18 months. So look, this is this is almost a direct evolution of some of the points that you're saying there. But um, 
the Harvey Nash Group have a salary and hot skills report that's just come out. In that, mm-hmm. it says that 53% of organizations, um, 53% of organizations, sorry, feel it's important to invest in AI machine learning. So what would you say to the 47% that haven't seem to think that it's important to invest? Yeah, I mean, uh, everyone's got a lot of priorities, right? So first of all, we understand that there's there's so much to think about in today's world and especially over 18 months, you know, completely ripping up old business models and ways of operating and kind of reinventing that and thinking about the future is harder than ever before. I think Peak's view is, is basically that AI is going to be so central to how all businesses are run. So it's a fairly, you know, core belief to to Peak's worldview is that in the future, every single business is going to have an AI at its core, sat on all of its data, helping to drive decisions across everything, right? It's a a fundamental shift in the way that businesses are, are, are going to operate. And we would say that it's not really a distant, you know, future possibility that's always five years ahead. We can see that the companies that are thriving today are using AI to massive effect. So Amazon ascribes 30% of all of its revenue to its on-site recommendation engine, which is driven by machine learning. Uh, Netflix, 80% of everything that you watch is put in front of you by algorithms, right? Two companies that are thriving in today's world are using AI across their organization, but with those two examples being two ones that we're all familiar with, and they're succeeding, right? So we we believe that AI has this unique capability to give people a winning edge to, to what they're doing. And we've seen reports from people like Gartner and McKinsey that if you wait too long, if you're, well, I, I think there's a McKinsey report that calls them laggards, which I think is such a great word, laggards, um, as opposed to the, the early adopters are going to win in the long run, right? The people that are embracing AI today are going to win massively in the long run because they are setting up an enormous amount of foundational work for future success. And if in 10 years, you're still only just adopting AI. I think you're going to be outstripped by the people that can react more quickly to volatility in the world and change changes that are happening, that can offer personalized experiences driven by AI everywhere and having everything connected up and kind of run by a platform like the one that Peak offers, able to inform decision-making across an organization and help them operate in sync. Because what we're seeing as well is more data than ever, right? That phrase can be uttered every day for the next 10 years. The, the amount of data that we organizations generate as a result of customers interacting with them is not going to decrease, right? It's not going down. It's going up every day. And, you know, uh, logarithmically or out, um, exponentially over time, And if you're not embracing the ability to make sense of that complex data today, there's going to reach a point where you you creak to a halt and it's simply not possible to make sense of all of that. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, I completely understand that everybody has different priorities in the way that they run their organization and the way that they think about the future. But we've seen time and time and again, and we've helped so many of our customers do this, the ones that embrace things today can both see short-term return and outcomes, but are also laying the foundations for something much more transformative and game-changing in the longer-term future, five to 10 years ahead. 
Look, Tom, it's been a pleasure to speak to you today. Uh, I think it's a fascinating area, obviously something that a lot of organisations are having to think about. So, um, yeah, uh, brilliant that you've been able to give up some time. And uh, I hope that you have a lovely weekend ahead, thinking that it's now getting onto Thursday, nearly at the weekend. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Really enjoyed it. Right. I talked, talked before we handed over to the interview about explainable AI. I do think this is this is really quite an interesting thing because there is that that bias isn't there i want to kind of call it legacy bias that if you've been in a role for a long time only you can make that decision because only you have that experience you were talking about the fact that you're in the office today uh and the boardroom was full of experience and experience is obviously a very good thing to have with the organization but there is that that kind of you know that decision-making core of people Mm. And for them, our people in the boardroom, to hand over decision-making to a piece of AI would be probably quite quite terrifying for them. It would be nerve-wracking, you know, if you imagine. I think, well, yeah, I mean, without kind of using them as example, but I think they, they struggled to, you know, plug their laptop in wirelessly to the projector. Um, you know, so <laughs> imagine... imagine, uh, imagine without using them as an, as, an, as an example and then you just roast them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully they'll listen and, uh, and they'll know that we, um, yeah, we, we had to help them. But I think, um, I, I, I think, uh, oh, he'll kill me when he, um, if, if he, if he finds. The thing is, it, it is one person in particular. And yeah, exactly. our, audi- our audience will now be like, "What the hell are they on about?" No, yeah. my old, my old boss Andy, who is an avid listener of this, he tells me he listens on Sundays. So, mm. hi, Andy. Uh, unfortunately, he he's wonderful but he's not great with basic technology. No, he's not. But I think just going back to the point, I think, um, I think it would be just the nervousness. It would be the, the, the kind of yeah. doubt, doubting, you know, kind of mentality of, of actually understanding, oh, wow, now we've got to hand over to a piece of kit or, a, or some sort of tool that's going to make, help make our business decisions. Right. Whereas in the past, I think you could probably, people have lent to the finance department, the, the 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 kind of I guess the sales and marketing areas to then come up with decisions and say right you know this is what we're looking to do this is how much investment we need because of A B C X Y Z, but I think to have a tool that does it it would because it's not coming from a person that is so called experienced or has been in that environment it would be hell of a lot of um, I think yeah nervousness around it in, in the best i way. think the interesting thing is people would kind of worry uh, is it taking away some of the value of what i bring to this organization i've got lots of experience i can make decisions if a machine's making decisions for me what no but that experience is still really valuable um let's let's not think that somehow we're saying that experiences but of course we're not saying that but what we're saying is that if you've got that experience these mid-tier decisions don't need to be the things clogging up your desk and actually it gives you more time to get on with strategy Hundred percent. And do you know what? Yeah, when I was listening to the interview, I thought of, and just hear me out here because it's a bit of a, a wild analogy. But I thought of Rolls Royce, and a few years ago, uh, or I think about ten years ago, Rolls Royce actually automated some of their kind of manufacturing areas. So they went to robotics, they went to technology, whereas Rolls Royce is always known as being one of the only cars that were literally built nuts and bolts up, you know, everything included by hand. And a lot of the people who were building these vehicles for years at Goodwood, um, where is where they're all built, kind of found it offensive and were like, oh, well, you know, 
we, we can't be having this. And, you know, this is taking away my, my craftsmanship and, and artistry and that sort of thing. But what the brand or what the manufacturer then said to them, I said, look, we want to embrace technology. We want to use it to a certain extent. Don't get me wrong. There are still times where you as a person, as a craftsman need to be used and be there to validate, um, to mm. execute and, and, and ultimately just check and, and make sure things are being done right. But what we want to do, we want to use your energy or your power and your knowledge somewhere else in the business. So um, I was kind of comparing it to that, whereby you could use it as something to run alongside people to help them free up some time. But, yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense? Uh, it makes. I think it makes perfect sense. I thought it was a, it? a, a very good analogy uh, for your hesitancy at first. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was just kind of thinking of it in my head whilst I was listening to the interview, thinking, oh, right, yeah. Kind of good one that. yeah no that's good that's good insight yeah. i don't know why i'm surprised <laughs> you've been on the show for, for a year right <laughs> oh dear no um no I, I think you're entirely right and um why wouldn't you want to it's you know when we were when we had the show last week and we were talking to astrazeneca about skills and and wanting to make sure that people had the right skills and that the company had sorry the company had the people in the right positions to help the company grow and they were beginning to use ai to look at, at the the gaps in their skill set it's, it's it's the flip side of the same coin isn't it that that if you've got ai in there also making the low level decisions the mid tier decisions then it allows you to redeploy those skills in a way that helps your company to thrive mm. so there's there's a lot of synergy between um, Mark Mark Howells' interview last week with AstraZeneca and what Tom New has to say here. Mm. Um, I also felt that the points around efficiencies in AI were, were very well made. Um, God, the amount of ridiculous packages that I've had through the door where the box is, the box is almost a meter large and inside it is something that is about half the size Two with faced. a whole load of... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just go, why is there a box in a box surrounded yeah. by crepe paper? Doesn't make any sense. Um and it's funny because one of Peak's um, uh, one of Peak's um, clients is one of the world's largest beverages companies. I won't mention them by name just because might not be able to uh, at this point. But I was talking to their CIO and SVP a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about how they were using AI to create efficiencies because they use a huge amount of water in their process, and they were aware that their supply chain wasn't the most sustainable. And I brought this up with Tom, and he went. They're a client of ours. Ah, all right. That's that's it, pretty good, isn't it? It it is nice to know that there is that that emphasis on sustainability and efficiencies not being about stripping costs out, but actually about improving and making the business just generally better. On that point, anyway, let's let's go to a quick advert break. We'll come back uh, afterwards with a quick bit of technology news. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe could be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. 
Okay, Keish, I'm going to give you a choice here. There were three stories that jumped out to me. Non-fungible tokens that we were talking about a little while ago, NFTs. Uh, Sir Tim Berners-Lee NFT of the World Wide Web source code has sold for $4.5 million. Uh, Or you could talk about Cristiano Ronaldo shooting to the top of Instagram's rich list or the fact that AI software may help spot early signs of esophageal cancer. Which one do you want to talk about? Cristiano Ronaldo, NFTs or cancer? Oh, uh, should we keep it light? Let's keep it light. Let's talk about either Ronaldo or NFTs. I, I know, knew I feel, you'd go for Ronaldo. I feel, I feel, <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel like I feel like the cancer's a bit yeah a bit deep. Let's keep it positive. Let's yeah. Well, no, they're detecting um, signs of cancer. It's a good thing. You know, it it's is AI, good. It's AI doing yeah. good good stuff. But no, okay, fine. You've 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 picked Ronaldo. Uh, so I I think this is on the back of the fact that um, the Portuguese captain rattled Coca Cola by removing the drinks from view at the post match press conference, which was hilarious, uh, yeah. causing UEFA no end of consternation. But Ronaldo can now uh, command as much as one point six million dollars to endorse a product on social media. Oh. That is ridiculous, isn't it? That is very good. But if I was if I was Coca Cola, I'd use it as like something hilarious and use it in the opposite marketing. Like, you know. So what if Cristiano doesn't like it? Don't be Cristiano. Drink drink Coca Cola. I don't know. Like, you know, you, you could use that, but it's ridiculous. That that man. I mean. Yeah, he's, he's obviously not had the best of tournament, or his country hasn't had the best of tournaments. They're out. Um, yeah. But. I mean, the fact that he can demand that sort of cash for one Instagram post and the reach that he's got globally, I mean, wow. You know, you've got 300, to be- 300 million fans, and he's estimated to make more than $40 million annually from Instagram alone. Wow. I mean, and and the thing is, I, I'm impressed by it. I really should be, because, you know, we have things that we say, look, you know, youngsters growing up at the moment people you know in their teens getting into that kind of age where they need to start developing careers or something for themselves and a lot of them think oh yeah i want to be the next instagram you know influencer or or model or famous person on there i mean when you can aspire to that sort of numbers from just literally having this which i'm holding a phone up in your hand and going yeah you know um i can just earn cash by taking loads of photos and using advertisements and that sort of thing. And I mean, wow, it's, it, it's crazy. It is crazy. I think what it does show as well is it just highlights how important now. Um, branding? We don't, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's less about company branding. It's far more about individuals. Like football clubs are experiencing this with, with the Asian markets. You know, if, if a player moves from one club to the other, they follow the player because they support the player rather than supporting the club. They don't have a tribal attachment to a football club. It's not like the 1980s and the 1990s in, in the UK where you lived in a town and that was your club. Mm. These people um, have been fed on a on couple of decades of Premier League, but they... They are, they follow a player. I suppose it's translated through into wider marketing, where people are far more likely to buy brands based on endorsements. We've known that for a long time. You buy on friends' recommendations, but social media is is opening up avenues in quite astronomical ways. And forty million dollars is just insane. Mm, yeah, forty million dollars is yeah. Wow. I mean, and also the thing is, what you have to understand is the. Now brands, if they want to get someone like him to endorse a product, 
rather than them having a product strategy or a marketing strategy to say, right, this is what we're going to do in Europe, this is what we're going to do in Asia, this is what we're going to be doing in, I don't know, the Far East or whatever. They can literally go, right, this is what we're doing. We're going to pay this guy a shit ton of money. Uh, he's going to put up some posts, put up some stuff on Insta stories, and uh, we're going to sit back and watch the money coming in. Literally, I think that's... It's, it's probably made the, the job of the marketing director kind of redundant, really. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just madness, isn't it? Great, great for creative agencies who are raking it in in the middle, I imagine. I, I imagine they are having a whale of a time. Uh, yeah. In other news, though, folks, AI is helping to solve cancer. But we didn't want to talk about that, eh, well, Don't make me feel bad. Don't make me feel bad. It is. <laughs> and if, whatever we can do, AI, BI, I mean, I don't know, software development, programming, anything, tech talks, anything that can help stop that, let's do it, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, with that, um, again, to all of our American listeners, have a lovely Independence Day weekend. <laughs> Stick the boss on. Yeah. Listen to Dancing in the Dark. Born in the USA. Have a whale of a time. Uncle we'll Sam be... and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know any songs by Uncle Sam, but... Neither do I, mate. But... Yeah, there we go. Star Spangled Banner. There we go. Yeah, banner. It is a banner, yeah, yeah. Right, anyway, other than that, we'll be back next week. <laughs>